Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he begins a sermon series called Declare the Glory of the Lord in this message from April 28th titled The Declaration of God's Creation. must be the highest priority of mankind and all of his creation. God is both worthy of his glory and jealous of his glory. Listen to what we read in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And the apostle Paul, after reflecting upon the grace of God in his life, said to the king of the ages, Immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In his book, Radical Together, David Platt writes, In his word, God declares his own glory. And in the world, God displays his own glory. God exalts God. If this rubs us wrong in any way, we should ask, who else would we have him exalt? For at the very moment God exalts anyone or anything else, he is no longer the God who is worthy of all exaltation. Everything God does, even the salvation of his people, ultimately centers around God, for he is worthy of all praise from all people. If God is both worthy of his glory and jealous of his glory, then it's important we understand the meaning and implications of the word glory. But I must confess that to adequately define this word is almost impossible because there are more than a dozen Hebrew words that are used in the Old Testament for that one English word. Given the variety of contexts in which the term is used, its meaning is very expansive. The most common word has a wide range of implications wrapped up in it, including splendor, brightness, dignity, beauty, Adornment, excellence, abundance, worth, honor, importance, and acclaim. And so as you can see, the concept of glory is much more complex than we might imagine. No listing of terms will ever adequately express the greatness of God's glory. The New Testament summarizes all of those qualities into a single word, which is meant to convey the intrinsic worth or value of God. The glory of God is the radiance of his manifold perfections. It is a sum of all that he is. It is a character of God which separates him from all else. The Puritan Thomas Watson described it simply as a sparkling of the deity. Author C.S. Lewis has written of the weight of glory. He suggests that those who have been confronted with God's glory feel a weightiness a burden that presses down upon them and becomes even heavier as they come to comprehend the greatness of the glory that is God. It is a weight which causes the one who senses it to give glory to God alone. So in light of that, today I'm beginning a three-part sermon series from Psalm 19, which I have entitled, Declare the Glory of the Lord. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19 and follow as I read the passage in its entirety. We read, the heavens declare the glory of God 
And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs his course with joy. It's rising is from the end of the heavens and it's circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is their servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I believe the psalmist gives us three ways in which God's glory is declared. It's declared through his world, through his creation. It's declared through his word that you and I have, and it's declared through our ways. Each revealing that God is intent on displaying who he is. This morning, we're studying the first six verses of this psalm, Psalm 19, that focuses on creation's declaration of God's glory. I can imagine a young David who wrote this psalm, tending the family flock of sheep. Well, the sheep rest peacefully and quietly after a day of wandering in the pastures. David's eyes drift to the heavens, and within his heart, he begins to contemplate God's awesome nature. Of course, during David's time, no cell phones, no television, no satellite dishes, no digital cable, no 300 channels to divert his attention, no social media, just the outdoors. Just David and the sheep in God's creation. And after observing the skies night after night, he penned, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The words declare and proclaim are in the present tense. That is, the heavens are declaring and the sky is proclaiming the creative work of God. It's a continual display. What we see in nature is meant to constantly show us that God exists and tell us how amazing a creator he truly is. In her book, Embraced by Holiness, Kathy Howard writes, before the stars dotted the heavens and the waves crashed on the shore, God existed in all his holiness. Divine, perfect nature with only the triune God as witness. Then he spoke and his majesty burst forth in visible wonder. He splashed his glory across the skies and spread his power in the ocean depths. Now all creation lifts a clear, unbroken chorus of praise to its creator. 
Since the beginning of time, what has been made testifies to the unlimited power and worthiness of its maker. Nature beckons us to seek God, bidding us to turn our eyes and hearts to the creator. It is beyond comprehension that this powerful, majestic, holy God desires us to know him. And yet he does. Creation itself is meant to show the greatness of God. Creation summons us to know and worship the creator. The whole earth gives us a picture of the glory of the invisible God. Nature preaches us a sermon on his glory. And this ought to lead us to ask, are our eyes open to the display of his glory in nature? Does evidence of God's glory in creation lead us to praise and worship of our creator? This morning, I would have us first consider that creation points to God's glorious character. Author R.W. Cargill says this about creation. He says, creation's immensity reveals God's unmeasurable power. Stop and consider the amount of energy and material in the universe. It is overwhelming and staggering to consider the vastness of this world in which we live. But that reveals to us God's unmeasurable power. He goes on to say that creation's complexity reveals God's unsearchable wisdom. For example, tiny cells, the basic building blocks of every creature are themselves living and have an intricate structure which is completely complex. Those tiny cells point to the unsearchable wisdom of God, the complexity. He says creation's constancy reveals God's eternal reliability. Everything celestial and terrestrial follows unchanging cycles of order and constancy. The universe and all of nature are not chaotic or else we could not live our lives safely if it were. The regularity of sunrise and sunset, tidal, tidal ebb and flow, monthly new moon and full moon, the coming and going of the seasons of the year, the accuracy of the atomic clock, all are so regular that tables and diaries and calendars can be prepared many years in advance, knowing that the information won't change and become useless. We can depend upon it to help us order our lives. As an example, we are in the season of spring. It's a season in which the seeds are planted, where we begin to uh, plant and for the anticipation of a harvest. We know that that's what spring brings. It's that constancy. And it reveals to us God's eternal reliability. Creation's variety and beauty reveal God's majestic grandeur. Variety and beauty are everywhere in stars and in snowflakes and living organisms and single cells in plants and in creatures on land and sea. And people all over the earth as well. No two are the same. We can discern and enjoy all the varied colors, shapes, sounds, and smells. Revealing God's majestic grandeur. And creation's steady testimony reveals God's supreme authority. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 verses 19 to 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them. 
because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. In other words, Paul is saying that the magnitude, the beauty, the order, the design of the heavens testify concerning the existence and incredible wisdom and power of the one true living, personal God who created them. If you have not been impressed with God after looking at the magnificent heavens and the earth, the things that he has made, consider some scientific facts. A number of years ago, Moody Institute of Science produced a DVD series entitled Journey to the Edge of Creation. And here are just a few of the facts concerning our universe that ought to leave us in wonder and in amazement. The sun in our solar system has a diameter of 860,000 miles. And it is so large that it would take more than 1 million Earths to equal its volume. The sun experiences explosive eruptions of hydrogen and helium that sometimes leap 100,000 miles into space with more force than a billion hydrogen bombs. Each second, 5 million tons of the sun's mass escape as energy. More energy in one second than mankind has used throughout history. Despite this current rate of depletion, the sun has enough mass to enable it to continue for at least 5 billion years. The distance from the sun to the outer limits of our solar system is 3.5 billion miles. In spite of its large size, the solar system is an extremely small part of our galaxy, the Milky Way. Our galaxy is so gigantic that it possesses more than 100 billion stars, some of which are many times larger than our sun. Astronomers claim that light traveling about 5.88 trillion miles in a year would need approximately 100,000 years to cross the length of our galaxy. Despite its vastness, the Milky Way is only one of at least 100 billion galaxies, some of which contain 200 billion or more stars, with stars separated from each other by trillions of miles. Recent observations have prompted some astronomers to conjecture that the universe may be so enormous that it may take light traveling from our sun at the rate of about 5.88 trillion miles in a year, about 10 billion years to reach the outer limits of the universe. Those are mind-boggling facts, figures, and numbers. With the help of powerful telescopes and intricate microscopes, Scientists are discovering and learning so much more about this universe, this vast and intricate universe in which we live. When you and I ponder these facts, it is not difficult to see why the scriptures declare that God who created the heavens, what does it say? He stretched them out. God stretched them out. Why is the universe so overwhelming in size? Perhaps God designed and created this way so to impress us, his creation, with his greatness so that we can have a life-changing, so that it can have a life-changing influence upon us. Observing the vastness of the universe should impress mankind, each one of us, with the infinity of God 
and the finiteness of humanity. David expressed such an impression in this way. He says, when I look at, the he- at your heavens, when I look at the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. You see, creation points to the character of our God. To his wisdom, to his power, to his grandeur, to his might. But creation not only points to the character of God, it also proclaims the universality of the glory of God. Psalm 19 verses 3 to 4 says that God's creation speaks to all people everywhere. This is a universal aspect of God's testimony. I think it's interesting that David says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You ever wonder why David singled out the heavens and the skies as proclaiming the handiwork of God? I mean, after all, God's glory can be seen in many different aspects of creation, not just the heavens. Could it be that everyone has a direct view to the sky and to the heavens? If someone lives in an area surrounded by mountains, they may never experience the wide and open expanse of the prairies. Or if someone lives in a year-round warm climate, they may never see the breathtaking beauty of hoarfrost. When our visitors from Chain of Love in Brazil visited us this past December, they woke up that Sunday morning to a beautiful display of hoarfrost. And by their reaction, you could tell that they had never seen trees and shrubs and fences coated with heavy white frost that glistened in the sun. They were taking pictures and pictures and pictures. And they were sending them to family and friends back to in Brazil, immediately sending them back. And their friends and family in Brazil were immediately responding to those photos. But everyone can look up to the skies. And they can be enthralled and in awe of the starry host and the sun and the moon. There are a number of implications concerning creation universally proclaiming the glory of God. First, there's no language barrier. It is understood by all. One of the biggest barriers missionaries face in bringing the gospel to other peoples is the language barrier. For many missionaries, one of their first stops before actually going to the mission field is language school in order to learn the language of the people to whom they will be ministering. And some missionaries go to the tribes where no one knows the language and spend the first couple of years just living with the people and learning how to speak their language. But the knowledge of God that comes from creation transcends individual languages. There is no speech or language where the voice of the heavens cannot break through. There is no language barrier. Their testimony is understood by all. But not only that, there's no volume barrier. It's heard by all. Imagine if you were broadcasting the gospel into a country in the people's own language but none of them had their radios turned on or the signal was so faint that they couldn't pick it up, you would have broken the language barrier, but you would still have a volume barrier issue. It doesn't do any good to speak the language if the people can't hear you. 
David says in Psalm 19.3, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. The knowledge of God in creation comes through loud and clear to everyone. Oh yes, you can choose to ignore it, but you can't escape it. Going back to Romans chapter 1 verse 20, remember what Paul said? He said, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Notice that this testimony to God is clearly seen so that men are without excuse. No one will ever be able to stand before God and say that they did not receive the revelation of God that comes through creation. The voice of creation speaks of God's glory and it speaks loud and clear and no one can miss hearing it. They can only refuse to believe what they hear. There is no volume barrier with this revelation. It is heard by all. But there's also no distance barrier. It's given to all. Psalm 19.4 says, Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Let's go back to that radio analogy. Imagine you're broadcasting the gospel using special universal translator technology. Everyone who hears your transmission can understand that. Not only that, everywhere you broadcast, people have their radios on and turned up. They can hear what you're saying. And that would be awesome. But how far does your transmission go? What if your transmitter only broadcasts to a 50-mile range or only to a 100-mile range? There would still be a lot of people missing out on that broadcast, on that message. The testimony of creation has no distance barrier. It is given to all. The voice of creation goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. There is not a place you can go to in all of the earth where you are not confronted with God's testimony of himself in creation. There is no distance barrier. The testimony is given to all. Now you might wonder, if God's creation speaks to all people everywhere, then why do we need missionaries? Why do we send people to different places with the gospel of Jesus Christ? If there is no language, volume, or distance barrier with creation... Isn't this a better way to get the message out to everyone rather than sending missionaries? If God's creation speaks to all people everywhere, isn't that enough? And the answer to that question is no, it is not enough. Because although creation provides us with some knowledge of God, it does not provide us with a saving knowledge of God. For example, a person can look at creation and understand that God exists. But knowing that God exists does not save a person. A person can understand from creation that God is all-powerful, that he's holy, he's wise. But knowing God's attributes does not save either. A person may even understand through his own conscience that he is a sinner and under God's judgment. But even knowing that you are a sinner is not enough to save. And it's for this reason that God revealed himself to us in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose death and resurrection we just recently celebrated. Jesus revealed to us the heart of the Father, his great love for us, and in sacrificing himself upon that cross and rising from the dead, he defeated the power of sin and death 
and offers us new life as we place our faith and trust in him. But after saying that, creation does declare the glory of God and the character of God. And so we come back to our text where David said, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And because the heavens declare the glory of God, we can be confident in using science to explore our vast universe. There are Christians who are afraid of science. There are Christians who fear that science is going to disprove the existence of God. There are those who fear that science is going to show us that, that mankind and everything else just evolved into being. But that is not the case at all. We do not need to fear science because the more we know about the world around us, the more glory we will give to God. The more we discover, the more evidence we have that he is the one responsible for nature and for its laws. A person needs the Bible and personal faith in Christ in order to have a proper relationship with God. However, a person needs only to look honestly at the world around him in order to realize that God does exist. And so we don't need to fear science because what science is revealing to us is that there is a creator. There is wisdom behind all that we see. There is power behind all that we see. It's not by accident. It's not by chance. It's not random. So there is so much we can learn about God from the book of creation. And so it's important that we spend time with God in his creation, watching the sun rise and set, watching the seasons turn, staring up in awe at the stars in the heavens, walking in nature away from the hustle and bustle of human activity, resting in the fields and the streams, delighting in God's animals and creatures. All these things teach us more about God and draw us to praise and to worship him in deeper and better ways. What we witness in creation draws us to the creator. We don't worship the creation. We worship the creator. Why? Because a masterpiece of creation discloses God's glorious nature. His power, his wisdom, his might, his strength, his glorious holiness. And that he is worthy of our heartfelt worship and praise. The heavens declare the glory of glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Continually does so, day after day after day. Are we hearing that message regarding the glory of God? I'm going to ask you to bow as I pray. Loving God and Father, we thank you for this diverse world in which we live. We thank you for the uniqueness of everything that you have made. From the stars to the snowflakes, from the flowers to the grass, from the streams to the oceans, from the birds to the animals, and us. Each unique each demonstrating the display of your glory. And Father, we thank you that we serve and know and worship the creator of this universe. I ask, Father, that as we leave here this morning, 
that our eyes would be open to your creation, that we would find delight in the song of the bird. Father, that we would find delight in the odor from the flower. Father, that we would find delight in the uniqueness of the insect. Father, whether it be something large or small, I pray that we would give glory to you, that we would hear you speak of your power, your might, and that it would remind us of your grace and your love as you revealed it to us through your son, Jesus. This is our Father's world. But we need to have ears that will hear, eyes that will be open to see, hearts that will be open to receive. May that be our testimony today, Father, our desire and our longing. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash TBC Swan River. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church or search on your favorite podcast app.